After 25 years in the fashion industry, I've realized that fashion is not really about the clothes, it's about the people. I'm Laura Van Root Poole, and this is What We Wore. Robbie Carruz is a generous and talented designer with ateliers in Paris and Beirut. Even after Robbie was personally and professionally affected by the Beirut explosion of 2020, he remains committed to his team, his craft, and encouraging the fashion industry to lead with consciousness. Robbie Cruz, I am so happy to have you on the podcast. I've known you a long time, and I think that I was introduced to you from Marie Helinda Tayak, but also maybe Dawn and Denise from Amaris, who are old friends of yours. But I definitely have been visiting your atelier for many years and, and admiring your work and loving your work and just really excited to have a conversation with you today from, uh, from the south of France. Hello, Laura. Thank you so much. And I've been sincere since the first time I met you. I remember saying to Marie-Hélène and to Don and Denise, I'm happy to meet somebody in fashion who is colorful and uh, <laughs> not taking it so serious. And uh, I, I, I was admiring you while you were admiring me. And I'm happy that we finally get to meet each other in a proper way. Aww, thank you. Tell the listeners where you're from. I'm Lebanese. I'm from yes. I'm from Lebanon. Um, I've been uh, in Paris since uh, I actually I was born and raised in Lebanon. Then I studied in Paris. I came back to Lebanon m- mid nineties. Well, I, where I started uh, my uh, my 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 friend my house my uh, my couture house. And a few years later, ten years later, I decided that I want to move back back to Paris, and that was in two thousand nine when uh, I came back to Paris and I established my brand in Paris as a couture and ready-to-wear brand. Are you from Beirut? Will you tell a little bit about what what Lebanon is like, what Beirut is like? My husband's a big collector of mid-century French furniture, and I know that Royer had an atelier in in Beirut for many years. They called it the Paris of the Middle East. I'm lucky and cursed, I don't know, but I'm from this beautiful part of the world where uh, it's a, it's a central historical part because i think we can we can realize that the word started uh, somewhere in this, in that region i mean the three big religions come from there and uh, so you can imagine what is it like but unfortunately this part of the world has been very very attractive and very uh, very beautiful, glamorous, and uh, successful, uh, bringing out the best out, the best of the people. And a few years ago, because I think of lots of many problems, this part of the world wasn't very, very nice. And uh, we were struggling in Lebanon to keep this, uh, our little country, beautiful and, uh, and interesting to live in. But... Uh, it's not the case uh, right now, but uh, I've been, I mean, I am what I am because of this country, because of these people. And uh, I cherish every moment I was there, I lived there. But nowadays it's quite uh, a place where things will happen, would be good soon, but it's not in the, uh, not in the moment now. But it was a very inspiring place where uh, we had moments where everybody was coming to Lebanon and it was a, a hub of design, of creativity and of, of even uh, trading. 
And uh, yes, Royer in the, in the beginning of the, in the mid century came to Lebanon, was associated to an architect there, Mr. Majdalani. Uh, Mr. Majdalani was a very good, great architect uh, working in Lebanon, having lots of projects. And I think he met Royer some, somewhere in France during an exhibition and uh, he convinced him to come to Lebanon and to work with him. So Royer was doing mostly of the, all the interiors of his buildings. And uh, we still have, uh, and then he worked a lot in Lebanon and it was easier at that time to have an atelier and his workshops in Lebanon instead of in just importing. And we are known in our uh, country to be very, very good artisans. So most of his uh, design were, were produced in Lebanon. Until today, we can find in certain building, most of the building built by Mr. Majdalani are still here and very well uh, maintained. So all the public, the entrance, the elevator, the, the staircase, the lamps, some of the benches in the, in the entrance were done by Royer. So imagine every, every all these buildings are piece of arts by themselves. And uh, we had a mythical hotel in Beirut that was unfortunately destroyed during the war in uh, seven, the 70s. Uh, was totally done by by Royer. So wow. it was uh, it's a design it's a designer that I discovered before uh, before he was very well known in France. After his uh, few exhibitions they did for him and people they remind of his uh, it was a great reminder of his work. Before that, I remember coming back from Paris after my studies in the nineties, and where everything was rebuilt. It was a very interesting moment in Lebanon where. We all came back after studying uh, abroad, and we had uh, spontaneously all of us the the will to to rebuild and to be part of the construction of our country after the war. So at that time, I remember seeing lots of wire furniture left in the garbage. Oh my God! And uh, people, uh, I mean, few people knew knew about them, and they were like. Yes, you know, my, my concierge has a wire. Oh, my grandmother left me this. I don't know what to do with it. So it was, and suddenly I remember all the, those antique dealers from abroad coming to Lebanon to grab all these uh, pieces. So wow. I, I, I lived it. And I remember because I'm very good friend with uh, the grandson of Mr. Majdalani, who, who has from his grandfather lots of wire pieces. And he was like holding on them and trying <laughs> yeah. and trying to tell the people, no, this is Royer, don't get away, don't, don't throw it. And this is good, keep it. And it was quite fun. I lived it. I remember the prices, how they were, what, what they were at that time and what like 20 years later, what it is now. So it's quite, it was quite fun. You should put them in a vault. <laughs> <laughs> tell me about your childhood in Lebanon. Were you always creative? And was it always textiles? It's uh, it's quite interesting because I'm uh, as I'm here in south of France. I can remember uh, I ha I have lots of sense of my childhood because I lived I didn't live in a city. I was uh, I uh, I born and I was raised in, uh, in in the countryside in a, in two small villages because we I used to live in a village and I used to spend a lot of my time in my grandmother village, which was a uh, few miles away. So I have lots of sense of nature and that's what I remember from my childhood. 
really living in nature and sensing the nature and being in love in all this, what I call the natural creativity. I mean, I was, I have, I was lucky enough to be able to witness spring, which is, I think, what teach you creativity, the real creativity, what it is. To see the, how the trees will, will blossom, how the flowers will come out. And, uh, and sensing all this was, I think, the best uh, school I ever had. And I was raised with very, lots of love from my uh, grandmother. I can always talk about her because she was right, really a great, great person in my, uh, my childhood. And uh, so I have uh, the sense of loving to build things, to go into the garden and build little houses with some rocks and, uh, and playing with construction, with just manipulating things and do something with them. And I always loved that. And I, uh, they tell me, I don't remember that. All my childhood, I mean, when I was really little, little kid, maybe two years old, I used to, to, uh, to wrap my sister with towels. Two, three years, I, was, I used to play with towels and to wrap and to, to play with them. I, I never played with dolls or textiles. I mean, I, it was always manipulating things with my hand and trying to build something. I always loved that. And I was raised as well in my father's bakery. Oh, wow. You do, you do things with your hands at the bakery. So the hand and the work, the artisans, uh, sensing natures was always, really, it was what I was raised with. Wow. And I remember at 12 years old, uh, I've been asked at school, what would you like to do when you grow up? You know, this very classic question. And spontaneously and very, I was very sure of myself. I said, I want to be a fashion designer. And I remember coming back home saying to my parents, you know, I decided at school that I want to be a fashion designer. And, you know, my father, my mom, people not very social, not very sophisticated in that, in this, in the fashion way, uh, never said no. And, uh, and that was, I think, my, my first big present that I got from my parents that they never told me no. Yeah. I mean, they didn't jump and encourage me to, to do it, but they didn't say no, which was quite very, very important. And I remember in my childhood, something very, uh, that really marked me that, uh, they gave, they were, they were not social. They were not fashion people, but they were, they had this interesting sophistication about clothes. They used to love dressing us up. And, uh, it was something, uh, related maybe to, uh, not to show off at all, not to fashion at all, but just that was the kind of, uh, it was important for them. It was a kind of politeness that I heard that from my grandmother saying that getting well-dressed is a polite way because this you dress up for yourself and for the others. And for your guests. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, I heard that and I, uh, I, we used to go to the shopping uh, where we used to shop uh, in the town next to our village. And uh, at that time, that town was full, filled with all the best uh, brands because during the war, everything from the city, from the main city, from Beirut, moved to that kind of, to that side of the country. Yeah, it was another town, small town, more safe. So everybody moved there and all the brands were there. So I remember going 
to stores with mom and dad and choosing their clothes. And we used to go, all of us, we used to go, my sister, my father, my mother and I, and we were all dressed up in like two, three hours coming back home. Everybody has his uh, wardrobe for the, for the season. We used to go like four times, four times a year yeah. and to buy things. So I remember seeing the brands that I still see till now, you know, uh, it was Saint Laurent for man from the store that my father used to buy uh, his, uh, his things. We used to go to his tailor, uh, choosing the fabric, ordering the, the jackets and pants. And then, uh, and then we used to go to other, to the store for kids. And we used to buy all our uh, petit bateau underwears and, <laughs> or our uh, shoes. And, you know, it was very, very sophisticated in that way. And then very, 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 and we used to buy just smart things and good quality. And I think this is where I learned that. And I remember wanted to buy, uh, when I was a child, I, I would see my cousin wearing those uh, kind of polyester pullover with Snoopy on it <laughs> and too. And I would love to have them. And my mom said, no, this, this is very bad quality. You're not having, so instead of that, I was having my plain, uh, beautiful wool uh, pullover. And it, it, it stayed there. And I think not loving fashion, with, because I always say I don't like uh, fashion. I like clothes. Yeah. yeah. And I think it certainly it comes from there because they were not fashion people. They were not impressed by anything trendy or anything fashionable. And yeah. I was always looking at, because we used to live in a building that my grandfather had one floor. Then uh, he had, because my uncles and father were four boys. And the food, we were all living together in the same big, yeah. uh, I mean, like a big house building. Maybe, you know, other cousins would have things more trendy and more, uh, even now I look at them, it's more tacky, but, but it's fashion with something like fa more fashionable. And I remember wanting, asking my, my mom to get these things, sometimes in the house, sometimes for uh, house accessories or uh, home, ac uh, home accessories or clothes. And she would say, no, no, no. This is not uh, this is not good quality. We're not buying things to to throw in one in two uh, in two months. And actually, I was looking at things that would would be thrown by my aunt or by my cousins, and uh, and us we're having always good quality things that will never be thrown. So <laughs> exactly, it's a whole uh, it's a whole mentality that I was brought up with. And so, when you were sixteen, you moved to Paris. So I was sixteen. I. Uh, it was still the war and i remember uh staying at home we couldn't go to school because of uh, the bombing the bombs and uh, lots of problems and uh, and i i remember by curiosity i was i went to the french uh, cultural center which is in the embassy next to the consulate french consulate in this town in this town that where i could go and I remember uh, just asking, what would you, what would I need for to do a fashion designer? And I just realized that uh, I can start now. So I took all the information, came to see dad and told him, look, I, uh, what do you think? If Because we're not going anyway to school, why I won't go to Paris? And uh, they let me go, 16 years old. <laughs> Did you have family there? He has, uh, my father has two um, two cousins living in Paris. So of course, thanks to them, I was able to go uh, in a, easily. I celebrated my 17th uh, birthday in Paris. 
and I, I did a school before the Chambre Syndicale, which was more like a training school, preparation, preparing my, uh, my portfolio. And then I, I went to Chambre Syndicale for three years. Then I, had the, I was lucky enough to have beautiful uh, trainings at uh, Dior and Chanel in Ready to Wear and in Couture. And I realized in 90, when, I, when I finished, I was able to, to stay in Paris. I remember having uh, a job offer at Chanel, but I, I don't know. I came back to Lebanon at that time. It was in 95. And I felt this uh, energy of building. And I said, okay, no, I think I want to stay in Lebanon. And lucky me, I stayed there. And uh, the time I was in town, to, and I was so I was so young. I was 22 years old, and I had to do my military service like any any kid. So I uh, and I started by pure coincidence in uh, end of in 90 end of 97 98. I I, I was introduced to a person who wanted her wedding dress and we decided over a dinner to do her wedding dress and i said okay i'll do that i never did that in my life i don't have an atelier but <laughs> I, I i said yes i made a drawing she loved it and i convinced a friend of mine who was studying who studied fashion design in lebanon and another seamstress who lived really next those people were really living next to my parents house and uh, my parents gave me a ground floor to do an atelier. And I started there like that for to do this order. And this order came like a wedding dress with all the sister, the cousins. So it was like 20 <laughs> dresses to do, oh them in, to do them in three months. And, uh, and said, okay, that's it, why not? And from a word of mouth, suddenly I became uh, the young, trendy uh, designer <laughs> who would do nice wedding dresses and evening gowns. And I remember at that time, I wasn't, I wasn't sure of myself, especially technically, you know, to do sophisticated uh, couture pieces. But I think I never tried to do something that I don't, uh, I don't like or I don't know. So since the beginning, my style was very simple, was yeah. very uh, naturally uh, done. I used to, because I was sh very shy at that time, and I, I don't know how, how I would uh, show the customer what I want to do for her. So I used to take a fabric and wrap it on her and explain the design on her, because it's all, all, all about draping. At that mm -hmm. time, I remember my mom saying, but it's so funny. You're doing exactly how you used to do on your sister when you were <laughs> with the towels. With the towels. So, <laughs> so this uh, draping and uh, just enveloping the, the the body in a very simple way came as as a beginning, and then became a style. And suddenly, uh, every I was known directly to do not overwhelming, uh, not embroidered because. In the beginning, I didn't understood the embroidery. For me, it wasn't what I was seeing, I, what I was raised uh, with. It's uh, because I was really raised by nature and by simple things. So I really was uh, spontaneously doing only simple things. And I was raised in Paris with a very simple and very elegant uh, look. 
I, because I mean, I remember when I came to Lebanon to Paris in the 90s, the street was so beautiful. I mean, when I say the street, people in the street yeah, were yeah. very stylish. And I was really impressed by that. And uh, for me, it was all about practical pieces. And I yeah. always had this, even with evening gowns and wed and evening uh, evening gowns and wedding dresses. I was doing something really simple. Funny enough, today that twenty almost twenty five years later, I uh, I meet some friends that I, because all my clients became became friends. I was their age, so imagine yeah. it was so fun to do wedding dresses at that time. So I know most of them, and I can see them again. And we look at the pictures. <laughs> it's so funny. I would do the same thing today for them. I, I was literally going to ask that. I was just going to ask, have you have you seen or do you have photos of that original wedding? Of course. And are they still beautiful to you? Honestly, I can. They will say it that. And that was actually a challenge because I remember uh, when I, uh, you know, when I started, I used to talk a lot with the bride, asking her lots of things. And one, one of the answers that I will always have when I tell them, what, would, what do you want? They will tell me, I want to look at my picture in, in years, not like my moms do now, and, be, be, <laughs> be, and have fun of my, uh, of my wedding dress. So <laughs> suddenly I realized that, yes, I'm not here to do something that just is for that day. So yeah. suddenly my dresses were very comfortable. They were very very impressive and uh, we did i mean i did dresses with less the wow effect but all the the dress all the girls in my dresses would party would dance would move and uh, i still have this in my mind when a client told me once it was uh, not a bride it was a very elegant woman in beirut that uh, was very loyal client i made a beautiful dress for her so I called her the next day. How was the party? How was the dress? She told me the dress was beautiful. Everybody was saying how beautiful you are. But, you know, at a certain moment, the, the dress was bothering me something inside and I lost all my confidence. So I wasn't oh. believing when people will tell me you look beautiful. Ah. I wasn't feeling good. So that marked me. And I realized that the dress, everything should be comfortable. Because elegance, ele yes, and ele yeah. elegance is not what you look at, is what you feel. So I, almost 10 years after my started in brand in Lebanon, uh, when I said, okay, I really feel like doing, uh, dressing people all the time, not only for evening and wedding dresses. So I really want to, to see people in the street wearing my clothes. So when I started my ready to wear in 2009 in Paris, I wanted to, have to, to keep this comfort in mind and to, to do all the clothes where you feel good in it. And uh, at that time, I used to do fittings with, uh, with people who worked with me, not only a mannequin in the studio. And all the, all the way, I used to ask them, how do you feel? And I used to fix the dress from inside, not from outside. Because I yeah. believe with time that when things are beautifully done, are perfectly done to be worn and to be comfortable, automatically they will be beautiful. And uh, it's like and anything in design, because definitely after that, I am so interested by architecture and design. And I realized that everything we, I love 
are not things that the designer did them because it's beautiful. The designer did this building or the designer did this chair because it, they had a meaning, practicality and function. And when the function is done and the material is perfect, automatically it is beautiful. But you know, we never start things saying, oh, I want to do a beautiful dress. And it, yep. it means nothing. Well, well, I think even more, uh, because I'm married to an architect, but I think when you visit these incredible buildings by really special architects, you feel so different inside the space. It's, a, it's about how you feel inside the space. It's, a, it's about proportion, and the proportion is usually human size. The, the places, from, in my experience, where you feel the best, like the Schindler House in L.A., you can't believe how small it is and how the proportions make you feel safe. And I don't know, and it, it's, it's so completely different, and I think it's exactly what you're saying about clothes. Yeah, and in the 20s, which is, I think, the beautiful, interesting era in design and uh, even in literature and uh, cinema. I mean, it was a period where people wanted to get rid of the past because the past for them was war, was pandemic, <laughs> was, uh, was all the problems. And the only way to overcome the problems was a real transformation. A, re a real new ideas, a, ne a real new places to live in. And this is where it's, it's a period where still today, what we like in design, in architecture, in any other art, were come from that uh, very interesting 20s. Because this is where people were not looking at, at aesthetics. They were looking at thinking. They were thinking, not looking at mm. something. They were thinking, and this is what what is interesting in design is think what you what think of something, and then you realize it in objects. I agree. So you had the the atelier in in Lebanon, and mostly bridal. And how long were you there? And how long were you in the the, the ground floor of the building your parents owned? Um, I, the ground floor in my build, my parents' <laughs> building, I was there for one, almost one year. And one year later, I, I mean, when I started to have all my clients from, because Beirut was opening up, was getting built, and everything was happening in Beirut again. So I decided to move to Beirut and to start a, uh, an atelier there. And uh, I remember at that time, it was more happy for me and more comfortable to be in a home not in just a, a boutique or a real atelier. So I, I remember renting two floor in an old uh, building that uh, was typical of the 20s. And uh, so I had, uh, I had the, those two, it was almost a residential building, but I had two floors there, one for the showroom, one for the atelier, and later on I, I had another floor. And that I stayed there for almost 20 years in that place because I moved then to Paris. Meanwhile, I opened a boutique in Beirut, more like in a commercial area. And then in two, uh, ten, 20 years, to celebrate my 10 years in Paris and 20 years my uh, Maison de Couture, I moved to a beautiful place in Lebanon, in, in Beirut. It, it's an old 19th century palace where I, I, I put the atelier, the showroom and the boutique the ready-to-wear boutique in it. And it was 
such a beautiful place to be in. Unfortunately, this place was uh, blown up uh, during the 4th of August uh, 2020 explosion. And I don't have it anymore. I don't want to be, I think things changed in Lebanon and the country is going through a very, very big crisis. So in the same garden of this big house, there is another small house where I moved everything in and I was able to keep all my team in that place very safe. And we are still, uh, we are still working from that place now in Beirut. And was the business always 50-50? I mean, half your clients in Lebanon, half in Paris from all over the world? Or what, what was the breakdown? And, and were things produced just in Paris? How did you organize this? In the beginning, I, when I started in Paris, that was for really to do the ready-to-wear and uh, to, to start my, uh, yeah, the brand. I, I used to develop the brand really in Paris with French know-how, with uh, French manufacturer. 100% of my uh, ready-to-wear collection is produced in, in Paris, and now it's more in Europe. I mean, we, are, we produce in other cities than France and other countries than France. And I kept Lebanon as an historical uh, place because I, I didn't want to close, of course, Beirut. I have beautiful clientele there. So I used to have a ready-to-wear section where all my, my collection that you would see in Paris will be uh, brought to Beirut. So it was a French brand, actually. That was uh, quite uh, <laughs> uh, critical to, to explain to clients that it is Maison Rabia Queiroz, but it is made in France. So that was the part of the ready-to-wear. And I, I, I kept on doing wedding dresses and evening gowns on special orders. And it was still done in Beirut for my clientele in Beirut. And of course, from time to time, because I have a team there that knows me very well, I used to develop some designs and some patterns in Beirut for the collection in Paris. But since 2020, after the, the problems in Lebanon, so we stopped almost to bring the, to bring to Lebanon the ready the ready to wear from Paris, and we had to maintain a certain uh, activity in Lebanon and to keep on to be still loyal to our clientele in Lebanon. So we uh, we produce in Lebanon for Lebanon. So it's mm -hmm. our collection. It's my design. I don't change the design, but we allow. We did something. Just it's really a crisis management. My team would show the collection on photos or some uh, samples, and the client would choose her design and choose a fabric. So it's mm. kind of a unique pieces done in uh, ready-to-wear prices. This is what we wanted to do because of the crisis in Lebanon and to respect our clients there, to give this option to, to, to keep the name there and to keep the activity, because I have 15 people working in Lebanon. I don't want to... Uh, stop uh, their job. And I have, again, my historical clients in Lebanon. So basically the business, I wouldn't say it's divided 50-50 because it's uh, totally uh, quite kind now, it's a different activity, but uh, somehow in like, if we talk business and uh, Beirut represent a good percentage in our, uh, in our turnover. Are you open to sharing how the bombing affected you personally? I mean, it's, you know, two, two years has passed and I've been able to, to heal, let's say, from this. It wasn't, uh, it was a very, very challenging and difficult moment. Not only 
because I was personally hurt, which is important. I had uh, I had to go through a long process of uh, recovery. But what really bother, bothers me and still bothering me is that it's not me who was only hurt. It was what all what yeah. I believe in yeah. that was hurt. I mean, as I told you, I came back to Lebanon on purpose. I decided to stay in Lebanon in 95, and I was there for almost for the last 30 years, uh, building something in Lebanon. And then, you know, because I, I changed places. I First, I opened that place, and uh, I remember in 98, uh, two floors in that building. Then my boutique that I had in commercial area next to the next to the Beirut port. And then I opened again this beautiful, uh, located in this beautiful palace. All the things I did for the for 20 years were destroyed in 20 seconds. Yeah. And then my city, I see my city, my neighbors, the people, uh, friends, designers, uh, I mean, people who believed something would happen nicely for them, suddenly everything was destroyed. And this is what actually today still hurting me. That And this is not healed because the city yeah. is not. I am healed. Yeah. I'm good. I'm feeling very good. But what we, uh, what we built in a country that we believe in was destroyed. And this is, it's a, it's a, it's a huge. I mean, I'm lucky to be in Paris, lucky to be French, lucky to be in a country where the human rights are respected. But when I just look or go back to Lebanon and see how the human rights are not respected, this, yeah. this is horrible. And this is not only an economic crisis, not only a bomb, not only an injury. It's a whole system that doesn't respect the human being. And this is, this is not good. This is not, uh, not something that you overcome. No. How do you recover and how do you come back and, and design clothes? Because we, uh, I don't look at fashion people as fashion people. I look at the people who, do, who are doing their job, who are mm. uh, promoting an industry, who are making thousands and thousands of people working. And this is a business. And this is not, I'm not I don't talk it as a business in terms of capitalism, but it is people working. And by respect, first, I start with my team. I mean, I cannot, uh, it was very hard to come back, to be honest. But uh, I think the people who helped me to come back are first my partners, my team. Because people, those people are pas passionately working. And I was looking at them. I was seeing them, how they are giving everything they have to make this happen, to make this house continue. So that was overwhelming. And that was uh, something that, even uh, encourage me to to stay and to work and design and doing this job is my passion you know and uh, it's my life i'm not stopping to live but i have to do it today we have the chance that uh, we can do our our uh, any profession you're doing anything you're doing you do it with lots of conscience and lots of respect and this is actually what we all have to do. You have a boutique, okay? You sell ready-to-wear. You buy things and you sell them. Uh, you can, as well, at a certain moment, you see, oh, what am, I, what am I doing? 
But yes, you are doing a lot because you are doing it with respect because you respect the designer you are working with, you respect the clients you are working for. And this is how actually we have, because we have to go on and continue all our activities. But today we are not only because what happened in Lebanon or happening everywhere, what's changing in this world. Today, we have to keep our conscious working. I mean, we have to always to switch it on and not work unconsciously. This is what make, can make problems. And this is what may, can make us look at uh, fashion people in not a good way, because some people in the fashion can be unconscious, unconscious yeah. of what's going on, unconscious of what's happening, unconscious of the others. But when we respect what's going on, when we respect the other, when we do our job with lots of integrity, any job is good, and we need those jobs. We need people to keep on doing what they do. Yep. How do you think it changed your actual design process? Because for me, I your, your collections since your accident are the most beautiful that I've ever seen in my 25 years in fashion. Oh. I mean, I, Thank you. Uh, spectacular. But how, how do you, I mean, how did you look at that part differently? You know, I stepped back and I looked only on my, uh, what I like most. So doing clothes, not fashion, and uh, doing it with joy and doing it with fun. But because this is what I want to, I want my clothes to be known for. I want my clothes to be known for joy and for respect in terms of uh, design, when I say, because what I don't like in fashion is when you just do something and three months later, you want, you, you, you oblige the person or you, you push to throw it. So for me, no, I want to respect everything I did, everything my team did. And I can, you can still do things by introducing more fun to it. So this is what I've been doing actually, to keep on respecting my DNA and to do it with much new energy, new fun, introducing new things, but with a lot, a lot of respect to what I extremely like. And this is actually what I've been doing for the last three years. Did you know immediately that it would be successful? Because I mean, truly, you could you could see the joy and and the love in in every piece. I mean, did it feel different? Uh, no, I think it's just you. The energy will putting in, will putting it in, and I think being concentrated on what you like is always bringing joy because it's satisfaction. This is actually what I do in perfection. What I like to do, and I've been doing this since ever. So every time I was, I had a distraction. I realized that distraction doesn't work. You know, when we, when you try to do things for a marketing reason for to please somebody or to do something that because it is trendy, those things never works because you, do, <laughs> you don't do them out of uh, true love. Yeah. So because I think I was concentrated on myself and, and on the house and people who worked with me are were concentrated on that as well. I have to say as well that maybe because I was yeah, I, I think it's a kind of concentration. That's it. Mm. And thank you. I mean, I'm I'm so <laughs> I'm so moved to hear what you were saying that this is the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. But it, I can I don't see I don't see it like that. I see this is the best thing I can do. 
So I'm happy that the best thing I can do is the best thing that can happen. In every podcast, we ask our guests what they wore to the prom, and I don't know that you had a prom if you went to <laughs> no <laughs> shops in the call at 16 do you no. have do you have a favorite thing you've designed or do you have a favorite piece of clothing or an, a, a favorite thing that you wore in your life no i have just a funny story when i went when i was at school you know i was at school in the really the mid 80s so you can remember how we used to wear at school in the mid 80s <laughs> And I remember all of us trying to look like uh, either Madonna or George Michael. So imagine, <laughs> imagine how the school would look, would look like. And uh, I think after all those crazy looks, they asked us at school to wear only uh, white and navy. Oh, really? Yes. And I remember I was 15. I, uh, I couldn't, I mean, I couldn't find in my wardrobe, although I was raised to have proper dress, pro proper uh, 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 things, but I never, I didn't have something very, like as simple as that. So I went to school without wearing what they asked us to do, and I was kicked out. And actually, <laughs> I was kicked out because I didn't have my white shirt and navy navy pants, navy pants or navy pullover. And it's so funny that for the last 20 years, this is what I wear. <laughs> I was just going to say that, Ravi. I was just going to say that's what you wear. Yes. <laughs> so, I mean, ten, uh, yeah, almost 10 years ago, I think I was in Paris. 10 years ago, yeah, ten, almost 10 years ago, I've been asked by my school to design the uniform. <laughs> And I remember at that meeting with the whole people, I said, it's funny that my school is asking me this because the only time I was kicked out from the, from the school was the day that I didn't wear a uniform. I love that. So, that's so good. <laughs> that's a great story. Voilà, that's, I love it. That's my story. <laughs> I love it. Ravi, thank you so much. Thank you, Laura. What We Wore is produced by Capital and Balto Creative Media. The original song, Someone So Enchanting, was composed and performed by Britt Drazda. queencitypodcastnetwork.com.